Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. A Freedom Convoy trucker has been told to turn himself into the Ottawa Police Service as he awaits four criminal charges. Toronto mayoral candidate Olivia Chow has yet to announce an anti-crime platform. CSIS has confirmed that Conservative MP Michael Chong and his family were targeted by the Communist Chinese regime. Hello Canada, it's Wednesday, May 3rd, and this is the True North Daily Brief. I'm Rachel Emanuel. And I'm Noah Jarvis. We've got you covered with all the news you need to know. Let's discuss the top stories of the day and the True North exclusives you won't hear anywhere else. Ottawa police are charging a trucker 15 months after the Freedom Convoy ended. Harold Jonker, who runs Jonker Trucking Inc. out of Niagara, Ontario, has announced that he'll turn himself into the Ottawa police on May 10, where he'll be fingerprinted and have a court appearance. He faces one charge of mischief for obstructing property, one count of intimidation by blocking or obstructing highway, and two counts of counsel for an uncommitted indictable offence. Jonker said he's surprised that he's being charged 15 months after the 2022 Freedom Convoy ended. In February 2022, Jonker drove up to Ottawa in his semi, along with 12 other trucks from his company. He was featured prominently in the Freedom Occupation documentary about the protest, which was distributed by True North. While he says 90% of his trucking business is from the US, Jonker participated in the convoy because the restrictions were impacting everyone. He's now having a Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms lawyer represent him for his criminal charges. Jonker's also already working with another JCCF lawyer after an integrity commissioner ruled last summer that he broke the municipal code of conduct for participating in the convoy when he was a part-time counselor for West Lincoln. That's a township near Niagara Falls, Ontario. Noah, this story seems really absurd to me, and I think one of the things everyone is asking themselves is why is this happening now, 15 months after the Freedom Convoy ended? And I suspect for a lot of people who were involved, especially truckers, they're probably sitting waiting and wondering, are the police coming for me now? Are there going to be charges laid against me for my involvement with the convoy? Yeah, it seems very strange that after 15 months after the convoy has ended, that they'd be going after this man. Usually crimes have a statute of limitations as to how long after the crime has been committed that you can prosecute someone. Now, since he's being prosecuted, obviously that statute of limitation hasn't been passed. However, the principle behind those types of laws is that you're not to prosecute someone uh, for a crime that isn't relevant to public safety or otherwise. So I'm not exactly sure why prosecutors felt as if this was necessary in order to uh, keep the justice system and to keep public safety. I don't know why the prosecutors felt that prosecuting this man was necessary in order to uh, keep the integrity of our justice system and uh, you know, the public safety of Canadians. One thing that is noteworthy is that just in November, the Public Order Emergency Commission, which studied Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's invocation of the never-before-used Emergencies Act to remove protesters from Ottawa, ruled that Trudeau was justified in using those powers. 
I am a bit curious as to whether that ruling had any impact on the police's decision to continue to pursue charges since these are coming just a couple months after that ruling was made. However, I suspect that if Jonker was charged, we're going to expect to see a few other charges. I don't know why he would be a one-off in this situation, considering that he wasn't even really a convoy organizer. He was sort of the lead for truckers from Niagara, and there was a large number of trucks that did come from the Niagara region. There is a huge freedom movement there, and he himself, 12 trucks from his company went. So he was obviously a very prominent figure in the freedom convoy. He's been open about that. As we mentioned earlier, he was featured in the documentary that I worked on for True North. So he did have heavy involvement with the convoy, but not more so than a lot of other people who haven't faced charges. So I suspect we're going to see some more charges laid in the coming weeks. Yeah, it's a shame that people who have been through so much, who have lost their jobs because of vaccine mandates and went out to protest the cause that they truly believe in, are now facing uh, extended persecution 15 months after. If you went down to the Freedom Convoy protest, you don't know whether or not you're going to be getting prosecuted. And it's a shame that Canadians have to live in fear like this. As Toronto's candidates for mayor crisscrossed the city announcing their plans to combat surging crime and make Toronto safer, Olivia Chow has yet to announce an anti-crime platform. Toronto's crime problem has been front and center for many Torontonians going into the June 26th election, especially with a spate of violent encounters on public transit. Former NDP MP Olivia Chow announced her candidacy to become the mayor of Toronto in mid-April with a pledge to build an affordable, safe and caring city. However, the Chow campaign has yet to release a platform detailing Chow's crime prevention plans. The Chow campaign did not respond to a request from True North inquiring how Chow would tackle the crime wave in Toronto. Toronto's former police chief Mark Saunders has centered his campaign message around making Toronto safer through programs to make the TTC safer and take action on the revolving door bail system. Meanwhile, mayoral candidate Anthony Fury, who is currently on leave as True North's vice president of editorial and content, said he plans to reverse the trend of declining frontline police officers by hiring more cops. And Beaches East York City Councillor Brad Bradford has made multiple announcements about Toronto's crime problem since announcing his candidacy. In a crowded field of candidates, recent polls have shown that former NDP MP Olivia Chow is currently leading the pack in voter favorability despite failing to release a crime prevention platform. Rachel, with a significant crime problem in Toronto, from carjackings to gang violence to random attacks on the TTC, do you believe that going into the June 26th election, crime prevention is a top of mind issue uh, for voters? This is absolutely a top of mind issue for voters, not just in Toronto, but all across Canada right now. It's certainly one of the main issues that we're looking at in the Alberta provincial election, which is currently ongoing. There's been a massive spike in crime in both Edmonton and Calgary, and the data is the same for all across the country in major cities, with a lot of that crime being focused in transit centers. I was a bit surprised to hear that Chow didn't have a plan to tackle the rise in crime. However, it is still early days in the campaign, so she could release something at one point. That being said, she is still leading in the polls, so it's likely that she just has so much name recognition that she's pulling ahead. Sometimes we tend to forget that a lot of voters don't read the news. Some people just simply don't care what's going on in the world. They have so much going on in their own lives that they don't have time to click on the TV. 
And so some people just are maybe not aware of these rising crime statistics or they aren't taking public transit to begin with. So it's not something that concerns them. And therefore Chow's lack of plan is not something that they would be concerned about either. So currently it looks like her name recognition is really carrying through her race. I don't know if that's going to last. A lot of people that I know that live in Toronto are concerned about the rising criminal activity. People who have taken the TTC for their whole lives are now saying, I don't feel comfortable going down there. I haven't felt comfortable going down there since about November. And it doesn't look like that's going to change anytime soon. But again, we have a very large group of voters who don't really pay attention to what's going on in the news. And they might know Chow from some of her other work and therefore be supporting her nonetheless. You're right. And it's still early days in the campaign. Unlike the Alberta election, whose campaign is under a month, this Toronto election is going to be taking place over the course of two months. And the longer uh, Olivia Chow stays silent on the issue, the more voters would probably sour to the idea that she has no plan to tackle the crime issue. And the more that she stays silent, the more voters are going to be able to hear what Mark Saunders has to say or what Brad Bradford has to say or what Anthony Fury has to say about how they they plan to prevent crime from uh, transpiring in the city. Right, and she is a former NDP MP. So I'm just thinking a little bit about what her ideology would lead her to believe and what type of policy she would put forward here in Alberta when we had an NDP government last. They did push for things like safe injection sites. So that could be a policy that she puts forward, more safe injection sites. However, we're seeing here in Alberta, the NDP are being pretty quiet on topics like that, especially when the UCP is hammering addictions treatment at the same time. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, the NDP here have now switched. They're saying we need more police officers on the streets. It's a pretty easy thing to say right now. It's pretty popular with the people. It is early days in the campaign and she's leading in the polls. So maybe she's waiting to release some of her bigger policy ideas to really make sure she can carry through that excitement about her campaign all the way through to the end as it is a very long campaign. Following a Globe and Mail report, the head of CSIS confirmed with Conservative MP Michael Chong on Tuesday that he and his family were targeted by the Chinese government. A meeting took place with Chong, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, the PM's National Security Advisor Jody Thomas, and head of CSIS David Vigneault on Parliament Hill. In the meeting, Vigneault explained to Chong that he was targeted by China after he sponsored a parliamentary motion condemning Beijing's conduct in Xinjiang as a genocide and that Zhao Wei, a Chinese diplomat in Canada, was involved. Chong said that Vignet informed him that he was authorized to read to him from the CSIS report quoted by The Globe, quote, because it relates to a threat to you and your family. CSIS did not warn Chong about the threat until Tuesday. Chong said the government's negligence in notifying him of China's targeting is a significant mistake. He said, quote, this is very concerning, and it's either a breakdown in the machinery of government or a political failure. Noah, this is such a huge story in Canada right now. Of course, Michael Chong is rightfully pissed. He had no idea that his family was being threatened in Hong Kong, and now he's finding out about it way after the incident actually took place. He wasn't able to take action while it was going on and ensure that there was protections around his family. And I suspect that it has all of the MPs in Parliament thinking, could this happen to me? Is there a situation where my family would be threatened and the government would fail to tell me? 
you know, I'm wondering here, we're, we're seeing MPs all across the House be upset about this. We're seeing the Prime Minister field questions from this in the House of Commons from across the board. Do you think that there's enough here for the NDP to finally turn their back on Trudeau and stop supporting his government and maybe, dare I say, to even trigger an election? Uh, well, I think the confidence and supply agreement that the NDP has signed with the Liberals has shown that they'd don't actually have that much influence in influencing the Liberal government's policies. And I think a combination of that and also just seeing the government's general incompetence will probably leave the NDP to breaking the confidence and supply agreement and calling elections sooner than later. However, there has to be pressure put on the NDP from voters, and that would mean that the story would have to be uh, big enough and resonant enough with voters so as to pressure NDP MPs uh, to vote non-confidence in this government. I'm not exactly sure that the uh, Chinese election interference story has had that much resonance with Canadian voters, but I believe that this story could resonate with Canadians because it it does hit so close to home. People can empathize with the fact that uh, so, someone's family, um, someone's wife and kids are being targeted by this. You're absolutely right that it would take a strong response from NDP supporters to actually see the NDP move this issue forward. They haven't been very strong under Jagmeet Singh. We've seen a very weak NDP that seems unwilling to stand up to the Trudeau government. Jagmeet Singh seems very inexperienced in politics. Here they are in this agreement with the Liberal government. And you're exactly right. It seems like they haven't really been getting very much out of it. I will say the one time we did see the NDP actually stand up for voters and for their supporters was when the Liberal government sought to introduce an amendment to Bill 21. That's their gun regulation bill, which was going to further restrict access to guns, including those primarily used by farmers, hunters, and sports shooters. And we saw a lot of NDP supporters in the Yukon and elsewhere across Canada stand up and say, no, I need access to these guns to hunt and to make a living and to feed my family. And that was one of the times where we actually saw the NDP put pressure on the Trudeau government and we were able to reverse that policy, at least for a time. So it'll be interesting to see what they do here if they're willing to take a strong stance on a very important and concerning issue and actually stand up for Canadians and in a way also stand up for themselves because as I mentioned, this has got to leave every MP feeling very uncertain about whether the government will let them know when there is a threat to their family or not. That's it for today and don't forget to check in at www.tnc.news throughout the day for all the news you need to know. And if you're able, please consider supporting independent media over at donate.tnc.news. Thanks for listening and have a great day.